Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm not Ricardo. My name is Tyler Johnson. I am... You guys laughed like it was really easy to tell that I wasn't Ricardo. Um, Tyler Johnson, I'm the lead pastor of Redemption Arizona. If you are here and you don't know what that means, Redemption is a multi-congregational church that spans the state of Arizona. Eight congregations in Metropolitan Phoenix, one in Flagstaff and one in Tucson. Ricardo's the lead pastor of Redemption. Somehow the button just went off in my pocket. That's weird. But Ricardo is actually preaching today at a church that we have a really good relationship with in Los Angeles. It's a new church plant called Collective Church. So their services are tonight, but he got out to LA late last night and then we'll be back late tonight. So I am with you today coming to the close of our series in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand really high. Someone will get them. Uh, most of you have mobile devices in your hands. So you can open up there either on an app or just through Google and we will get you to Matthew chapter seven. Let's pray as you get there. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that you are an ever-present help in times of need. God, I know there's people in this room that feel needy right now and feel anxious. Uh, God, feel <clears throat> uncertain, and it's much of the way our world feels right now. And so, God, if you could provide us some direction and guidance this morning, we pray that you would. Um, we believe that you have direction, you have guidance, that you are the truth, and you tell us that the truth will set us free. And God, we would love to experience that freedom this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let me make uh, one statement to you. I'm a feeling a little rocky physically right now, so if I use this chair and get up and get off or depart stage right to you, I guess is what it would be called. Um, that's why, so I may use this, but forget that at this point. Matthew chapter seven. Here's a question I have for you. How many of you guys know where the terminology and the name Christian came from? So some people do. So let me give you a little historical background because it is helpful all the time, but it may really be helpful in these times because there is a lot of people in our culture right now going, who are these Christians, right? And some are celebrating and some are uh, doing the opposite, are um, weeping in the midst of it. But this whole idea of where's a Christian, uh, where it came from ultimately is during this time, there was a, a trend in which people would give these labels to say they are little so-and-sos. So for instance, there was this guy named King Herod and there were these people that would follow Herod and they would try to dress like Herod and they would try to talk like Herod. They would try to think like Herod and they would try to walk like King Herod. So people from the outside said, oh, those are the Herodians because they're like little Herods. Now in Acts chapter 11, we see that the first time followers of Jesus were ever called Christians 
was by people outside, meaning they were people who weren't following Jesus, and they said there, it was at Antioch that they were first called Christians. So if you apply that history to Acts chapter 11, it would seem very obvious that what they did is they looked at these people and they went, these are the people who try to think like Jesus. They wanna talk like Jesus. They even dress like Jesus. They try to walk like Jesus. In the end, these are little Christs. These are little Christs. Today we do the same thing. If you're in here and you're from Arizona, we call you Arizonans, right? And that means you're from a place and hopefully you're for a place. Well, in the end, the terminology Christian was because people were actually trying to put into practice that which Jesus said, and they said, we are from him and we're for him. Now, that can be really, really helpful. And what you'll see in this passage today is that Jesus is very clear to say, not all those who use the terminology... Christian, not all of those who may say my name are in fact mine or are in fact of me. So we live in these times that are not unlike the times of Jesus. The times that Jesus moved into and walked into were times where Jews were very divided. There was a group of Jews who said, we don't like the Roman Empire. We need to establish and lead in revolution. There was another group of Jews that said, no, 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 it's not going to work like that. Just maintain the status quo and keep going. Then there was a third group that said, we need to remove ourselves from this so that we don't get compromised, move ourselves over into a special place, just start talking to each other about what it means to be Jewish and disregard everybody else. And, and, and. Jesus comes into a scene, folks, not unlike ours, it was tumultuous times. It was highly, highly intense. The people of God questioned whether other people were actually people of God. They questioned the methodology and how to move forward. They all in the end, probably when they went home and put their head on the pillow asked, is this really right? And if so, why aren't we seeing more come about? And then they'd wake up and many of them would wake up angry and many of them would wake up anxious and many would wake up scared and all of them likely woke up uncertain. These times were not unlike our times and so Jesus is teaching to this group and he comes to this point and he says, I'm gonna give you some direction. And we'll say today, for the sake of our time together, that he gives us three signs in this passage. I mean signs that will direct us. The first one is a warning sign. It's beware, because there, will be, there are people who will try to lead you astray. The next one is a sign that's saying, look, kind of like a scenic outlook, if you think about it. But he's saying, look, but look more intently and look deeper. And then the last sign is a destination sign. What's our goal? What are we ultimately after? So let's get after this. The first sign is this warning sign. He starts in Matthew chapter seven and verse 15, and he says this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but actually they're ravenous wolves and you will recognize them by their fruits. But bottom line, beware. What he's saying is that there are those who are out there, false prophets, those who come. A prophet is one who speaks from God to the people. And he says this, not everybody who says they speak for God actually speaks for God. He's saying that. That's not just you guys talking to each other. Jesus is saying not everybody who says they speak for God actually speaks for God. They may come and they may be really nice, but they, they quote the Bible and they're really nice. Jesus says that in the end means very little. And in the end, they may be pitching you something, saying go this direction, that in the end, what he just said before, is actually the wide way that leads to destruction. My son is nine years old, and he has this thing they call celiac disease. Now, celiac disease is not the disease that, um, is not a situation like many of you are in, where you choose to not eat gluten, that's what this is. See, people with celiac disease can't eat gluten. You're like, I know people all over the place like that. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know people who choose to not eat gluten. And if you're one of those, go eat a loaf of bread after this because it's way different than this. I'm kidding. Gluten may not be healthy. Grain brain, I've heard about the book. I know all about it. So <laughs> bad for you, right? But truly, people with celiac disease, when we sat down and he got the diagnosis, the doctor said to us, listen, this isn't a matter of he can opt and likely shouldn't eat gluten, he can't. It's an autoimmune disease where his body views wheat, barley, and rye as poison. So he'll have these moments where if he eats gluten, he'll literally get in a ball, likely it's after he goes to bed, he'll get out, he'll get in a ball, super painful, and then he just grits his teeth long enough until he can vomit, and then he'll vomit a few times, and then he'll vomit bile, and then all of a sudden you'll see him sit back and he'll kind of begin to relax, and his belly will relax, we'll give him a Zofran, uh, which is throw up medicine, he'll stop and kind of it'll dissipate. So he has to be attentive. Well, yesterday we're at his playoff football game and they end and people give out snacks and typically Yale can't have it. But I watch him turn around and he's eating something and I'm like, is this clown eating a cupcake? <laughs> now, now, let me just say, he was not eating a cupcake. He's eating a Rice Krispie treat with M&Ms on top of it but it's half gone, okay? Well, so I say to him, what are you doing? He goes, it's a Rice Krispie treat. Rice Krispie treats are gluten-free and M&Ms are gluten-free. I'm like, yeah, buddy, but there was a blue package around that that may mean something different than that. And he's like, I'm certain of it. I know, look at it. It's a Rice Krispie treat with M&Ms on the top. And I'm like breathing like, please, Lord, right? So I say, give me the wrapper. And I look at it, and the first side I see is dairy and soy. Thank God, like dairy and soy. He can have both of those. But then it's like wheat, wheat, wheat. <laughs> and I'm like, you're going to die, 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 right? <laughs> um, so I look at him, and so this lesson comes out. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. As a father, like I had to evaluate my own heart because I'm, I'm angry. And I'm like, buddy, it's not always what it seems. What it looks like is not always what it is. You need to walk to every type of food with a warning. It's not always what it looks like. 
That's what Jesus is saying. Because somebody stands up and tells you they speak for God, understand this. There are deceivers out there. There are deceivers who know they're deceiving, and then there's a whole lot of them who don't know they're deceiving, but they're deceiving. Beware of that. Be aware of this, and you'll recognize them by their fruits. This is where we're gonna get to in a minute. But he goes on in this passage, and then he makes this statement in what we now have in our Bibles as the next section, but he says this. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast demons out in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just so you know this, Jesus was not the inventor or writer of Hallmark cards, okay? (laughs) Everything he says isn't flowery and cute, right? You read that and you're like, holy cow. But here's what he's saying to you. In the first section, he's saying, beware, because there are people out there that are saying things that could deceive you. Watch out and lead you to destruction. But here's the other thing. He's saying there's nobody that can dupe you, dupe, D-U-P-E. There's nobody who can dupe you like you. There's nobody who can dupe you like you. So just because you go to church, just because you've walked into a room and you're at a Bible study in Jesus' name, just because you pray and at the end of it you say in Jesus' name, does not mean you're known by God or that you know him. That's what he's saying. Beware. Beware. So what he now unearths is he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. He stops now and he says, I've given you a warning sign. Now I'm giving you a sign. One's leading to the next one of live an examined life and examine them. In the end, look. Here's what the sign says. Look deeper. Look deeper. He goes into this look deeper and he says this. So he said, beware of false prophets coming in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them, look deeper, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or are figs from thistles? Are they? Say it a little louder. Are they? No, okay? So every healthy tree, that's a key word Jesus is after. He's saying look deeper and look for health. For every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Bad, bad, bad fruit, right? So hear it. Bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, circled in my Bible, you will recognize them by their fruits. So what's he saying right now? Look for fruit. Look deeper. Look deeper because here's what Jesus is saying. It actually is root to fruit. Not fruit to root. Think about an ornamental orange tree. Looks good. 
tastes terrible, right? The root is what manifests the fruit. It's not always what it seems. Look deeper. I have a 2014 Honda Accord, okay? I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. I have payments on this car, right? And all of you people that don't think you should have debt, I've got an answer to your question. Ask me afterwards if you have a huge problem about that. Um, I don't believe in debt, by the way, just so don't, don't hear me. Very low interest rate. I think I, 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 think I have the money to pay for it. Um, 2014 Honda Accord, right? You shouldn't have a lot of problems with the 2014 Honda Accord. Just a couple weeks ago, my four-year-old daughter is entering into her first soccer practice, and she is ecstatic excited. She's thrilled, right? So I'm so happy, and we're these crazy people that have four kids, and now they're kind of, she's going to be five in March, so we're now, like every one of them, we're like, we're going to be sane. Each kid can only do one thing in one season. Do you know what that means? That means four kids are doing four different things, and there's two of us with two cars. That means chaos, right? Neither here nor there. I'm going with her. Everybody else is in another car. We're driving to soccer practice. She's thrilled. So I'm like, okay, going to soccer practice, field seven. Well, the field we drive to has fields on the east side of the street and on the west side of the street. But it's not just on the west side of the street because in between the soccer fields on the west side of the street is like a community center, a pool, baseball fields, then the soccer fields, right? So we pull this way. I go to the east side. I get her out. I'm thinking, oh, this will be easy. We've got like seven minutes to spare. I look around and there are just fields, like a sea of fields on only the east side. And I'm like, okay, this is a challenge. Uh, hey, do you know where field seven is? No idea. Next person. Hey, do you know where field seven is? Well, I know this is 13. Okay, well, does one start that direction or that direction? I have no idea. So I'm like looking on the phone. They're like, look up on this website. And I'm looking at the phone. I'm like, I have no idea. So I'm looking around. I don't see anything. So I say, let's get back in the car. We're going to drive to the west side. So we get back in the car, pull out. Car pulls out, turn. We're getting out of the parking lot. Car's here, car's here. Parking lot, right? Just get the image. Parking lot. Car, I put it into drive. Shuts down. I'm like, okay, turn it back on, kind of turns over, vroom, dies right as it's turned over. Turn it on again, dies. And I'm thinking like, okay, this has happened to me twice before. So you may just go, oh, odd occurrence, bad gas. No, 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 there's something wrong with this car. So now I'm trying to get it out. I'm like, I'm looking at her. She's like, dad, my first practice. So I'm like, we're going to run. I don't care about these people, right? Like they can't get out because my car is stopped. We're running. So we start running. <laughs> we run across the field. Now we're like, I'm like, holy cow, this is far. So my daughter, instead of going like, we are totally psychotic, right? My wife's trained her well. She goes, well, dad, four years old, this is an adventure. And I'm like, <laughs> an adventurous nightmare is what it is. So, so we keep running. We get to the fields. Is this field one, not field one, not field one? We finally get there. Where's field one? Right there next to the main parking lot, next to the far street on the opposite side of the west side. I get her there and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna drop you off. I wanted to watch you so bad, but now we go back. So I run back to my car. One thing leads to another. I get my car to the Honda place. As I get there, I'm like, it's running now, just running. So basically what happened is I went back to my car, get her practice done, got it in neutral, pushed it in a spot, now get it there about to call a tow truck and it just turns on, right? Like that's totally what would happen. Okay, sure, turns on. So I get it to Honda. Thank God when I get there, as I'm turning it on, the, turn the car off, the guy tries to turn it back on, it does the exact same thing. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> They're not gonna think I'm psychotic, right? 
So the guy goes, we'll take it in. He's taking notes, whatever. They call me the next day. They're like, the technician cannot get it to do anything wrong. And I'm like, boy, you better look deeper. Like, <laughs> there is something wrong with this car. The fruit is manifesting something deeper. Look deeper. Well, where do you want us to look deeper? I'm like, I don't know. I know nothing about cars, but look deeper because the fruit of it is bad, right? Bad fruit, bad, bad. Go deeper, right? They still don't know what's wrong with the car, but I'm still driving it. So that's, because <laughs> I'm on a payment that I think I can pay for, right? That's why, that's why I'm still driving it. So here's what Jesus is saying. He now creates this image for us of a good tree and a bad tree. And he's saying, examine the fruit. Do you see what he's speaking to directly in this passage? Leaders, false prophets, false prophets. We all have a sense right now in our culture very much like they had then. Where do we go? What's the next step? What's real? What's going to work? Well, you have to ask yourself the question, what does work mean? Right? And you have to ask yourself in this passage, what does fruit mean? What is fruit? Because that's a really good image, but what is it? Well, if you move into the rest of the New Testament, here's a key when you read past the Gospels, which are the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you realize that all of his followers, his key followers, they called them disciples or apostles, wrote the rest of the New Testament. All the New Testament is, is people writing letters trying to tell specific people in their given situation how to live out Jesus' words, how to do them, okay, how to do them. So if you look back, and let me tell you why this is so important, because Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, here and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, says things like this, and then I will say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. But even before that, he says very specifically that he wants us to do these things, that no one will inherit the kingdom of God but those, so here's what he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. So this whole idea of not just being hearers of what Jesus said, but actually being doers of what he says is essential to being a Christian, which seems to make sense, right? Since a Christian is one who tries to follow, not observe, but follow in the ways of Jesus. He'll go on in the passage we'll look at next week. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, right? So here's what the authors of the New Testament are doing. They're saying, listen, at the end of the day, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the Lord of life. Jesus is the king of kings. God has manifested himself. God has manifested himself to us in tangible taste, feel, touch, expression in human form. It's called the incarnation. What he says we must do. Why? Because we are made by him and for him, Colossians says. We are made by him for him, as is the rest of the world. So here's what Jesus is saying, and here's what we believe, what we believe. 
Jesus is not just the Lord of Christians. He's not just the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. He's God, right? So that's why we put his words into practice. He's the one who warns us. So now the New Testament plays this out. The question was, what is fruit? And I want to add another question to this. Who is he calling us to be? If we say we're followers of Jesus, who are we? That's what the Bible calls the church. Who is he calling us to be all the time, no matter what generation, no matter what time since he came, but then who's he calling us to be now? And he seems really concerned to say, we are to be the people who bear much fruit. Now remember what I said, the New Testament authors are those who take the words of Jesus and apply them to a given context. Well, if you heard this word fruit and you've been around the Bible at all, and I know a lot of you in this room may not have been, and that's totally fine. I didn't grow up in the church and there was these moments I'd get around the church and they'd quote a Bible verse like everybody should know it. And I'd be like, I'm an outsider, I have no clue. Or I must be a fool. Like, you're fine, right? Stick around long term and it'll get more familiar. But if you are familiar with the Bible or if you're not, Galatians chapter five speaks about fruit. The fruit of the spirit. So here's what he's saying. Look deeper. How do you examine leaders? Well, look at this passage in Galatians chapter five. He says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh in the Bible is the bad tree that displays bad fruit, okay? For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. That's not good. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you wanna do. Now listen to this. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now here we go. Okay, I'm gonna give you right here a way to evaluate because he's saying evaluate leaders, but remember, then he's also saying evaluate yourself because there's nobody who can dupe you like you. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're sexual immorality. You will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus is giving us the ability and encouraging us to use a grid to go, what kind of fruit do they have? What's being manifested? The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Keep that there. Remember what he said of those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven in the passage we're in. But the one who does the will of the Father in heaven is the one who inherits the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now listen. Just breathe for a minute. This is all about him saying, how do we go deeper to assess fruit? Folks, there are many of you in this room, even from a Christian perspective, who will listen to people on stage, and if they're charismatic, right, or they make you feel good, and they quote the Bible, you go, they're of God, right? No. Test them by their fruits. If what surrounds them is sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, things like these, not good fruit, bad fruit, okay? 
Now, you may say, because this is what typical Bible-believing Christians do, is like, no, he's really faithful to his wife. She's really faithful. Um, You move through these things, and you're like, they haven't laundered money. They haven't done any of this. And they just teach the Bible. Oh, yeah, and they teach the Bible unto great division, unto great enmity, unto great strife. They're amazing at making more enemies of people. Bad fruit, okay, bad fruit. The Bible consistently is pushing us into good fruit. So what does the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God look like? Now the fruit of the Spirit, moving to the next section of the passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also then walk by the Spirit. Okay, now, hear me on this. Leaders aren't perfect. They fall and they screw up. But they repent. They lead the way. Leaders in the church, if they're representing God, don't try to play the position of God. They play the position of a humble servant who recognizes their sinfulness. They acknowledge it, confess it, and they repent. Leaders at any level are lead repenters, are pursuing the spirit of God unto good fruit, not giving rationalization for bad fruit. Okay, you examine them by their fruit. Now, that's true of leaders, because he's talking about leaders. Now, if not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are we to be in the examination of ourselves? So in 2 Corinthians, there's this passage, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and he says this, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. But, and then he makes a statement like, but we're in Christ, and this is good, unless you have failed the test. Well, what's the test? The test is the fruit test. Now, relax for a minute here. This is a really important moment, because some of you in this room, including myself, because leaders are told in the Bible, not many of you aspire to be teachers, for you'll infer a stricter judgment, right? That's something you're like, sign me up for that. That's what I want, Right? So I'm sitting with trepidation too, but you as well, right? Examine yourself to see you're in the faith. So when many people hear this, they'll get super nervous and they'll go like, so does this mean I can lose my salvation? Does this mean I'm not secure in my salvation? Does this mean I've got to run after and try to do it myself? Okay, let me just make a really simple point. Hopefully I can make it very precisely and concisely. It's it's not my forte, concise, but we'll start there. Concisely. We are saved and justified by God by Christ alone. For it's by grace we've been saved through faith, not as a result of works, lest no one should boast. We are justified by faith alone. Justified means made right with God by faith, not by anything we do. Now hear this. 
But the faith that justifies us is a living faith. Not a perfect faith, but a living faith. A faith, if you will, that grows into itself and that begins to manifest more fruit. So when you examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, if you're like, oh my gosh, I fail the test, right? The answer isn't to insecurely roll up in a ball and go, I don't even think I'm a Christian. I don't even know. I don't even know if I'm really of Jesus. Here's the answer. Go to Jesus. That's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're in this room and you go, that's nonsense. I'm not even a Christian, okay? Let me tell you this. If you're not even a Christian, at the end of the day, we live in a context of massive struggle and of things that are really hard to give answers to, evil, right? You have to have an answer to that, not just out there, but even in yourself. Why is the struggle there? Why do you consistently go, why do I not live up to everything I want to live up to? The Bible would say there's this big thing that's separating humanity from what we were made for, which is God, and it's a thing called sin. And sin is way bigger than just you sitting there going, I'm not doing the right things. It's way bigger than that. It's a personified force that's in the world, hear me in this, that's against you, that's against me, that's against God, and therefore is against the world. The answer to all of that, sin, death, disease trees, is Christ. So whether you sit in this room and you're not a Christian going, I want the answer, or you're in this room and you are a Christian who struggles with sin, here's the answer. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus who's the only one. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved from the perils of this present world from the perils of our human heart, right? So he is telling us to examine ourselves so that have I passed the test? Even if I haven't, go to Jesus. Okay, so that's what he's saying here. Be warned, deception's real. And other people coming to you and in your own heart coming at you, go deeper, go into fruit. What's the fruit? We just said it. Simply stated, here's the fruit. You want a really simple answer? The fruit of the Spirit is love, okay? At the end of this passage, he says this, I will say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. So what if there's a worker of lawlessness that leads to not being known or knowing God, what is the fulfillment of the law? Look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on love. He says this, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So now let me say this. There is all kinds of people out there using the label of love. We just aren't loving people. You need to examine their fruit and go, what does the Bible say love is? What does the Bible say love is? 
And why does the Bible say it's so central? And why does when the Bible speak about Hallmark, or speak about love, it isn't just Hallmark cards? The Bible's yet to speak about Hallmark that I've seen. But why is it not just Hallmark cards? Why at times is it so powerful, so forceful, so direct, and so, at levels, rightfully frightening, but so substantive and real? Here's why. Because God is love, right? And this is, leads to the last sign, this destination sign. There's this statement, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, verse 21, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So clearly, God's desire is to say the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is the goal, is the destination. So the question begins to be, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? Now, this is so important. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is not a distant, somewhere out there, sometime place. The kingdom of God is God's space. It's God's space. God's not dead. God's not absent. God's real. The kingdom of God, in its realest form, not its fullest form that humans will experience, is here. What separates us from the kingdom is not that it's up there and we're down here. It's all around us all the time, but what separates us is this image that the Bible calls a curtain, if you will. There's a curtain, which is sin, that's around us that blinds us. The God of this age, who the Bible calls the devil, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. And all of us, it's not here, my kids say all the time, if Jesus is real, why can't I see him? Right? That's a great question. It really is. The Bible has an answer for that. And it says sin right now is creating this veil that's removed when you come to Christ and you experience him in a real way but not a full way. You'll see him when it's finally done and he returns. You'll see him in full form. You'll see him in his fullness, right? But now there's still a film. There's still a veil, there's a thick, thick, thick veil. So you see these moments in scriptures. This is so important to understand the kingdom of heaven where God decides to pull back the veil and you see the chariots of fire. God decides to pull back the veil at the Mount of Transfiguration and people go, that's who Jesus is? Right? Peter, James, and John. And Peter's like, this is so amazing. We gotta build something. And Jesus, God's like, just shut up and enjoy it. Right? <laughs> We've got to do something here. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are interchangeable terms. Kingdoms have a what? Just break down the word. What's the beginning of it? Have a what? King. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God because God's there. The kingdom of heaven is heaven because God's there. Look at what Jesus does. Not everybody in the final day will say to me, Lord, Lord. What's a Lord? A king. What's he claiming of himself? He's the king. Who's God, right? We're coming around to this, what we just said. What is fulfilling the law? Love. What is the kingdom of heaven? Love for all of eternity. This is the unique part of what the Bible teaches us about God is that God is love, 1 John 4. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that actually can be loving. Three persons, one God, this doctrine of the Trinity which makes Christians Christians, okay? That we look at the world and go, if that's true, if God really is love, 
and he's the one who made everything we see, everything we can't see, then the center point of the universe that's upholding the universe by the word of his power is love. God is love, not love is God, any way you define it, God defines love. God is love, the kingdom of heaven is love, which means it's relationship and has been for all of eternity. So how does this then get manifested? How does the kingdom of heaven in this world get manifested if he's love, but by relational love? But by actually bearing the fruit of everything he said to us in the Sermon on the Mount. This not just neighbor love, but you've heard it said, he says in this very sermon, love your neighbor as yourself. But I tell you, don't just love your neighbor, love your enemies. Who is he calling us to be? Who he's always called us to be? Who he's always called the church to be? The people that actually follow and go, his words aren't meant to be rationalized. They're meant to be lived. This reality that simple acts of love trump, no pun intended, that simple acts of love trump grand manifestations of quote-unquote power that in the end are all about the person or the people seeking to display it. That simple acts of love are better, infinitely better, than anything done for your own honor, your own glory, your own position, your own prestige. Right? If we went back to Galatians, it says very specifically, the lusts of the flesh, bad tree, is rivalries. Guys, we live in a world of rivalries. A society that said it's win at all costs, that gloats in its win regardless of people. If you go, no, who are we supposed to be? Right? We follow a Christ who chose in the world's eyes to lose so that we might win. He chose death as the means to find life. He's the one who said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot be resurrected. He's the one who said, the last will be first and the first will be last. Who is he calling us to be? And who have you said you're following? Because if we are just the people that in the end are mad because we lost or thrilled because we won, and don't sit and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice for the right reasons, who aren't willing to sit with backbone when you sit with people whom you love and because you love them go, no, that's wrong, or who sit with people and go, no, this is right and I'm gonna spur you onto it, we're not following Jesus. And folks, there's nothing. If in the end, I promise you, at the end of this, what the world desperately, desperately needs is not people who write another Facebook post about how those people are idiots. What the world desperately needs is an invitation to say, come, let's in a concrete fashion, eye to eye, heart to heart, get to know each other. And here's what's crazy about Jesus. Even if they're your enemy, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they want to go with you one mile, go with them two. If they want to hit you on the right cheek, turn to them your other cheek. The question to us is who do we say we follow? Who does the world need us to be? 
Who do we desperately want to be? And then let me tell you this as we end. Recognize we can't be it. This is why Jesus said, remember this, these, these words, if you've not heard them before, they're powerful. He said, as he looked at these people, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Zilch, nada, nothing. So if you want to go out in your own power and try to live this life, go for it. You'll hit a brick wall. But if we sit and go, Holy Spirit of God, stick us into Jesus, whom is our life, whom is our salvation, whom is our power. And God, as we walk out, let us remember we are Christians, little Christ's, who in your power, who recognize that apart from you we can do nothing, are trying to step by step make a way. And the way right now, Redemption Tempe, is to pursue people you don't like, to sit with people you don't want to hear from, to talk to people and love them with a thick, concrete, substantive love. Not, oh, everything's okay. Everything's not okay. But Jesus is a savior and a great one at that. Let's pray. Father, we love you, praise you, and thank you for your goodness and love. God, we need more of you. I know that. We don't need more of ourselves, and we don't need more rhetoric and talk. So God, as we end, let us remember the words that you tell us, that the kingdom of God does not exist in talk, but in power. So God, we pray for your power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.